0: I'm going to ask you a question, and I may have to translate it, but we can do that too. What gets your dander up? Y'all tracking with me? My wife had never heard that, so I thought I might better just take a minute. Does everybody know what I'm saying? Anybody, can, anybody not know what I mean? What gets your dander up? Now, I don't know exactly what it means, but I, mean, I know what it means. I just don't know exactly what dander is. And I tried to look it up, and I couldn't even figure that out. <laughs> Somebody said they thought it might have come from when you get... Aggravated and angry, you pull your hair and you shake loose the dandruff and it falls on the floor. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. but The real question is, what gets you riled up as a Christian? What are issues that are quick, that you're quick to take a stand on and get vocal about? Go ahead, holler some out. Abortion? Boys and girls' bathrooms. I'm sorry? Of Loss of religious freedom, okay. All these are good, nothing wrong with any of those. And Here, people take the Lord's name in vain, okay. Those things are all good, Amen. Accepting the acceptance in society and even in the church at points of things that are not in line with God's Word. <clears throat> Tell you what, it was a long walk from the door to sanctuary today for a preacher in blue jeans and a t-shirt and sandals. Is that on anybody's list? Because, I mean, I kind of need to, just want to deal with that right now. If it is, <laughs> yeah, Kyle Ray, chairman of Deacons, absolutely, there you go. Thank you, brother, we'll get together after the service. That's the obvious point. You'll see what that, what I mean by that a little bit later on. Chuck Swindoll says this. The problem with Christianity in America isn't that we have a shortage of defended hills, but that the one hill we should all be willing to die on is conspicuously under attack. And it is the gospel. Oh, we're willing to die on many hills. And many of those hills are good and we need to stand for the truth of God's word. But it seems that too often we foolishly ignore the one crucial hill, the purity of the gospel by which we have been saved that cannot be compromised. Before we dive into our study of the book of Galatians, we are leaving Second Peter. There, at the end of Second Peter, we didn't. If you're tracking, we read the last two verses. We didn't really preach on verses seventeen and eighteen of chapter three, but there, at the end of that chapter, Peter says something to the effect of, "Now that you've been forewarned, don't be mis- don't be led astray into into error, but rather grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." And so in Galatians, we're going to be talking about the grace of God. But before we dive into our study of Galatians, as we think about what gets your dander up, what, what is it that really gets you riled up as a Christian, it's interesting to, to contrast Paul's two strongest letters. If, you, if you're familiar with the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, you'll know that 1 Corinthians and Galatians are the two strongest letters. When you read them, you can just tell Paul was uptight, he was upset. And with good reason. But it's interesting. The church at Corinth was divided according to different church leaders and personalities. They had little, little, uh, uh, what do we call them, cliques going on within the church. Furthermore, there was sexual immorality of an awful kind. A man was sleeping with his father's wife. There's a whole chapter devoted to that. and, And Paul calls the church to deal with that. There was abuse of the spiritual gifts to feed their own pride. They were taking that which was meant to build the body up and using it to be show-offs in the body and, and, and really just flaunt their stuff in the church. There was abuse of the Lord's Supper for selfish pleasures. When, when they got ready to have the Lord's Supper, they got there early and they brought extra wine and they just had them a time. And by the time communion came around, they were all half drunk, and it was just a big party at the church. Corinth was a mess. But Paul starts even the first letter to the Corinthians by thanking God for good things that he sees in their lives. In 1 Corinthians 1, you can go there and read his thanksgiving for what God was doing in their lives. However, when you begin reading Galatians, you find no such thanksgiving for anything good going on in the church at Galatia, at Galatia. What you find is a quick recap, and we're going to read it in just a minute. You find a quick recap of Paul's commission by Jesus and of the true gospel, and then a swift and clear rebuke for what to Paul was a much more serious problem than anything that Corinth faced. Paul makes it explicitly clear in Galatians 1, verses 1 through 10, what should get our dander up. Here's the truth I want you to take home today. Jesus' followers must recognize and react to the ever-present danger of legalism. We must. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. He reminds me in the next three verses of the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a gospel that took a sacrifice and it's a gospel that is ultimately for the glory of God, not the glory of man. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And so the rebuke begins and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have said already, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, Paul said, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jesus' followers must recognize and react to the ever-present danger of legalism. How can we be alert to the graceless chains of legalism, and, and how can we learn to react to it when we see it? Well, we can do that by taking note of Paul's response to the Galatians' Return to works religion here in these verses. First of all, notice with me in verse 6, Paul's amazement. I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Remember verses 3 through 5, the gospel that he had just preached to them. He'd been there personally. He planted this church. He, he shared the gospel with them, and, he, and it was the gospel of grace and peace to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. You see, it was a, a, there was a price paid, the death of the Son of the living God, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. But you see, the Galatians had begun to buy in to the lie of a group called the Judaizers, false teachers who said, Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, and we must trust in him. But for a person to be saved, he must be circumcised. No real salvation can come without that. And if you Gentile Galatians don't submit to circumcision, then you can't be saved. There's something Jesus did, but there's something you must do if you're to have salvation, so said the Judaizers. And the Galatian churches began to buy in. They began to to listen to these false teachers, and they begin to reason in their own minds. Well, I mean, they're right. It's, circumcision was in the Old Testament, circumcision was the mark of God's people and under the Old Covenant. Maybe they're right. Maybe we need to follow suit. To which Paul responds I can't believe it! You've got to be kidding me! This absolutely blows my mind. What in the world are you thinking? This is an epic tragedy. How could you do this? That's the sense of verse 6. You see, their legalism was an active turning away. It wasn't a passive slide. They had been taught the truth. They had even, no doubt, based on Paul's other writings and what he'll say later in this letter, they'd even been told they didn't need to be circumcised that they didn't need to keep the law. And he's astonished. Get it straight. Their legalism was not a turn away from a system of religion, but from God himself. Did you see it in the text? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting not this set of truth, this this, this body of information, but the one who called you. To live in the grace of Christ. When, When you and I, you or I walk into the realm of legalism, we turn our back on the God of all grace. Because he calls us to live in relationship with him through the grace of Christ alone. You see, you cannot pollute the grace, uh, God's grace by adding required works to it without forsaking God himself. You know, I believe if we were to look around and listen to one another a little more closely, we might find a whole lot more legalism in our hearts and maybe even on our tongues than we'd like to think. And by the way, we ought to always be on the lookout for the ungrace, the non-grace of legalism. And when we find it, like Paul, we ought to be shocked. And we ought to say so. Notice secondly, Paul's answer. He said, I'm I'm just amazed. I'm blown away that you're turning away from God and that you're turning to, the second part of verse 6, to a different gospel, but listen, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying, see it, to to pervert the gospel They're not just modifying it innocently. They're perverting it. And understand, if if there's any works that have to be added to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the resurrection, then there's no good news about that. I looked it up. One one one-hundredth of an ounce of arsenic is a lethal dose. One one one-hundredth of an ounce. So I got a little, basically got a little glass measuring thing in in the deal, and it's a little over an ounce tall, and it's marked off quarter of an ounce. I mean, that's like one, where it says a quarter of an ounce, you got to divide that into 25 parts. And so the best I can tell, it would be about like one drop, maybe two, out of this food coloring deal. So this is going to represent arsenic, okay? This is good old City of LJ tap water. What happens, what would happen if I took one drop of arsenic and put it in this water bottle? I mean, I don't, this one doesn't tell me, but I'm guessing that's about a liter of water in one drop of arsenic. I mean, can any of you tell there's yellow in that? I can't. I don't know how. Can you, can you see it? Okay. But, I mean, it's not that yellow, is it? It's just kind of barely yellow. If that was arsenic, Alan, would you take a drink? I mean, it was just one drop. I mean, I mean Alan. It's a liter of water. Cesar, what are you laughing about? I mean, it's a drop. I mean, it's a whole liter of water. What do you mean you, went, you wouldn't drink it either? Would you drink it? Russ? Yeah, you're crazy. Joe? Oh, you're, I'm sorry, you're another crazy. <laughs> I mean, there's no way if I knew there was arsenic in this that I would drink it. In fact, I would find something... And make sure it was real clear to everybody, this just became poison. It's not water anymore, it's poison. Legalism is not an innocent variation, but a deadly perversion of the gospel. And I'm not going to wear this next week, so just get over it. But a preacher in T-shirt and sandals—why is it even a thing? One ounce, one drop, and you wipe out grace. Chuck Swindoll again: "Faith plus works." It's a catchy tune. Sounds harmless. It even sounds helpful at first. If we listen long enough, we'll find ourselves humming it, then singing it, then living it, then forgetting all about grace. But a chapter later in the book of Galatians, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law... Christ died for nothing. You know what that means? If I can add anything to what Jesus has done and it matter before the bar of God, then Jesus wasted his life and his death. His resurrection did nothing. If I can add anything, even a drop, to my salvation. We were looking in Sunday school this morning and Andy Stanley was talking about Romans 3 19 and 20. Why did God give the law? He never gave the law to be the way of salvation. That was never his intent. The Jews thought it was. There's sometimes that we as Christians act like it was, act like that it is. But it never was intended that. Galatians, and we'll look at this later in Galatians as a matter of fact, but. Galatians points out Old Testament history and, it, and, it, and it reminds us, God gave the promise to Abraham 430 years before the law was even given. Why? To make a point that salvation would be by promise, not by works. And the law was given to show us our need for grace, to point us to Jesus who alone can save, to the only sacrifice. Our only hope, our everything before a holy God. Within the last two weeks, one of our men shared a story with me that illustrates this whole thing all too clearly. He was inviting a coworker who doesn't know Jesus to church. That's a good thing to do, right? Get him under the preaching of the gospel. let him hear about Jesus. And this guy doesn't live like he knows Jesus. That's usually the way it is, isn't it? We're pretty stupid sometimes as God's people. We think the world around us should act like Christians when they don't have Christ. I can't pull my hair. So he's inviting his coworker who doesn't know Jesus to church, and it just so happened that there was a, a preacher standing there. I mean, this is a real story. This happened. This, I'm not making this up. It's this not a joke. There's no punchline coming. And in response to the invitation to the church, the co-worker said, Oh, I'd have to give up my beer if I said I'd come to church, will you? He just kind of chuckled. Our brother, in accordance with the gospel, replied, No, you can come to church just as you are. To which the preacher said, Oh, no. You'll have to quit your beer if you're going to church. In that moment, that preacher revealed a heart filled with the poison of legalism. And he stood in that moment as an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't care who he is, and I don't care how good of a man he may be. If we mess it up here, folks, we're done. We don't have anything to say to a world. And you know what we just did? We put a drop of arsenic into a bottle and we said, brother, what you really need to drink is some poison. You know, let me tell you something. That beer he's drinking ain't nothing compared to the legalism that preacher tried to shove down his throat. Y'all all all right? I mean, you knew it was going to get wild if the preacher comes in sandals, amen? Amen. You see, we should be amazed to hear that a preacher put up such walls to the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. And hear me, we should react to that. The good news of grace is this, Jesus alone plus nothing. Jesus alone minus everything. That's the gospel. Hear me, if what you call the gospel is not 100% grace in Jesus Christ with nothing added and with, and with everything else taken away, then you have no gospel at all. Because if it depends on you, if it depends on me at all, we're hopeless. And we will be eternally damned. Thirdly, notice when me, Paul's anathema. You say, his what? Well, it's the Greek word for curse and it's an a- And I'm doing A's this morning. Verses 8 and 9. But even, how, how strong does Paul feel about this? But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be anathema. Let them be under God's curse, as we've already said. He's writing a letter, so he just has to write it again. He can't say it again because he's not there. This is his version of repeating himself in the letter. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody, that's us, an angel from heaven, any other preacher, anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, and by the way, they were the Judaizers, remember? Remember? Let them be under God's curse. Paul says, if, if, "If you get anything but grace from me, let me be accursed. If you get anything from, but, from grace, but grace from an angel from heaven, let that angel be accursed. And if those boys that, are, that have snuck in, that group that snuck in and poisoning in the water for you, if they preach anything but grace, and they are, let them be a curse. I mean, I'd, I'd say that's getting in your face. That's getting all up in everybody's business. I mean, that's getting personal. Strong, strong words from Paul. Probably the strongest in all of the New Testament right here. The word anathema means under God's curse, as the NIV puts it. You could translate it sentenced to destruction, judged by God. Yes, damned. That's what the word means. But you see, this is not just Paul's opinion because somebody else has come along and they're believing this other teacher. They're not believing Paul anymore. they believe in somebody else. No, he is pronouncing not on his own authority. He's simply voicing God's perspective on the situation. This is how God responds to a legalist. And we know because Jesus said something very, very similar in Matthew 23, verses 13 to 15. I'm only going to read to you two of his seven woes here that he gives to the Pharisees, which were teachers of the law, Judaizers. They were like the Judaizers. They were all about works, salvation. Here's what Jesus says to them. Listen to this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. That was Jesus, your Savior, that said those things to religious people. What got Jesus' dander up? Legalism. His strongest words were to legalists, not not rank sinners, legalists. And I bet he ticked them off pretty good that day. You boys aren't even going to get into the kingdom, and worse than that, you're keeping other people out. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, hypocrites! He says it again. He says it seven times, by the way. Woe and calls them hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, listen, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Hello. Wow. Did you know Jesus said this stuff? There's five more, but we're not going to read them. (laughs) I mean, you go on a mission trip with your your message of legalism, your message of obey God's law, be righteous like me, and you'll you'll be able to get in the kingdom of heaven. And and, and Jesus said, you make those people twice the child of hell that you are. So back it up and let's, let's unpack it. So. First of all, you boys are children of hell. The only place you're going to end up at home is hell. Because of your self-righteousness, your legalism, the the, the fantasy you live in that that you think you can actually obey God's law. You're not even obeying God's law yourself. you're You're just a hypocrite. But then you go and you make your converts twice the child of hell as you are. What does that mean? Why? Why twice? they were already a child of hell before they got there, right? But they put another wall in the way. Because when they teach them this legalism, when they teach them this self-righteousness, when they tell them, oh, here it is, here's the list, you keep it, you're good. And they believe the lie, then they're doubly damned. Then they're twice removed from grace. Legalism along with the one who perpetuates its poison, are under the curse of God, damned in the lies of works religion. That's Paul's anathema. Fourthly and finally, am I now trying to win? This is, excuse me, Paul's aim. What's he all about? What, what, what's, what's driving Paul in, in all this? I mean, this is, this is stout stuff. What, what's, what's in his heart? What's moving him to talk like this? Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ, says Paul. What's Paul saying? Well, Jesus' words about the Pharisees the great legalists of his day help us get the point. Earlier in chapter 23, from which we read a minute ago, chapter 23, verse 5, Jesus says, everything of, of the, of the uh, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their, the tassels on their garments long. That was all the stuff that, that the spiritual leaders of Israel were supposed to do. But they didn't just do what they're supposed to do. They made them big. They want everybody to see me. I got I got a big... Uh, box with the scripture, and I've got long time. I mean, I mean I won't, I'm I'm holy, man. I mean, I'm 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 serious about this law keeping. I'm more serious than you about the rules of God. They love the place of honor at their banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others, to which Jesus goes on to say, you don't need to call anybody but rabbi, rabbi but but me. (laughs) Because I'm the son of God. I'm God in the flesh. I would be the teacher. You see, the false teachers in Galatia were accusing Paul of being a people pleaser because he didn't require Gentiles to be circumcised. But his point in verse 10 is this. I just pronounced a curse, the curse of God on legalists. I'm not living my life worried about what people think. I'm only concerned about what God thinks and make, and about making sure my message honors him and that my message is his message. Paul saying, you know, I lived that way as a Pharisee for years. He said, if I'm still trying to please people. I, Paul, remember, Paul was one of them. He was one of the ones to whom Jesus spoke those woes and those hypocrites. And Paul says, I was that way for years. But since Jesus found me, I'm his willing servant. My life's all about him. I don't live for the approval of men, especially, especially religious legalists who are leading people straight to hell. Guess what? If everyone likes you, you've probably got a problem in terms of the gospel. If all the religious people you know like you, probably got the message wrong somewhere. You probably don't so cling to the cross of Jesus that it actually offends those around you. Because you see, if we embrace the true gospel of grace, Jesus alone plus nothing, Jesus alone minus everything, we must become the arch enemies of all human religion, of all pious self-righteousness, of all proud humanitarianism. We become offensive to a world that thinks there's plenty of good within to keep God from being too angry. We say to the world what we need to be saying to the world, to quote Steve Brown, is cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. But cheer up. God's grace is a lot better than you think it is. Jesus' followers must recognize and react to the ever-present danger of legalism. It's my prayer that in the days ahead, our study of Galatians would reorder the list of things that get you riled up, that get my dander up, so that right at the top, from now on, folks will find legalism. Nothing gets my dander up like legalism. Why? Because it, it perverts the gospel. It denies the necessity of the cross. If we're not willing to die for this message of 100% pure grace, if we're not willing to pronounce God's curse on legalists, then we don't understand the preciousness of God's grace in Jesus. But if we will will recognize and react to legalism like Paul did, then you need to know, we'll definitely be more persecuted. And the gospel of grace will, through us, shake our world and powerfully save both the worst of sinners and the most self-righteous. As all hear the truth that salvation is found in Jesus alone plus nothing, Jesus alone minus nothing. Everything. Our brother has a unique opportunity to speak grace into the lives of the guy who is afraid to let go of his beer and the self-righteous preacher who knows not the gospel. He has a unique opportunity to speak grace into the life of a man and tell him salvation is comes through Jesus alone plus nothing. And to the preacher, salvation comes through Jesus alone minus everything. And all the good you think you've done is filthy rags before a holy God. You have that opportunity. I have that opportunity day by day. This morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, our You, am I relying on anything except Jesus for our acceptance before God this morning? That's the the question for believers. That's the question for unbelievers in this room this morning. And you see, it is repentance. Turning away from that self-reliance, which is what it ultimately is no matter what you may try to depend on your works. It's just you're really relying on you. Repentance, not proper behavior or even holiness, is the doorway to grace. You know how you get grace? You say, I can't do it. I need help. I need grace. I can't earn it. Do you have that this morning? Do you know grace? Do you know Jesus? as your Savior. Turn away from self-reliance and turn to Jesus alone.